welcome to the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. This series is a reflection on the systematic use of data for handling the disasters and effective decisions for post-disaster recovery. It focuses on the role of data at each stage of the disaster management cycle that are mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. This podcast series would be offering examples of various disasters and the timely decisions taken to reduce the impact of the disaster and minimize the losses. This series is brought to you jointly by CoData, Tomkin and Taylor, and Center for Applied Geomatics, Sept Research and Development Foundation. Via this series, we bring to you reflections on the interdisciplinary approaches and the innovative use of data taken by various cities for disaster risk reduction, offering examples of good practices and lessons learned. Hi, this is Shelly Gandhi from SEPT Research and Development Foundation. Today, we bring to you an episode on data to enhance early career warning system and early actions. In this episode, we have Jill Bolin, Principal Natural Hazard and Climate Risk Consultant from Tonkin and Taylor, and Papon Fakruddin, Technical Director, Tonkin and Taylor. Both of them are joining us from New Zealand today. And we would engage in a very interesting conversation on discussing how data can be used to enhance the early warning systems and also take early actions based on the facts which data would spell out. So I would welcome both of you on the episode. Hi there, thank you. Thanks a lot, Shelly, for inviting us again. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Shelly, for inviting us for this interesting podcast series, which mostly talks about data to enhance the early warning and early action. And I think data is a play quite critical role into generating an observation system, generating from there to how we can actually produce a forecast information and that how that forecast information could be uh, taken action into the community. And Jill, who is actually a data scientist working in Tonkin and Taylor, I think she, she spent her whole career with, with data and data integration into the, the understanding the responses, action, or risk assessments. So probably we'd like to a little bit listen from Jill, your thought about working in the early warning area, how you feel that the data quality assurance into this uh, generating the forecast and where do you see actually major challenges still like remains uh, data to support the early action? Okay, I think, you know, there's several challenges in there. Um, a big challenge, I think, is this: there's a, quite a lot of inequality in terms of data access across the world. We've got sort of more and more data available now, and there's some excellent data resources. The satellite data that's available now is really enhancing our ability to predict disasters and also do the initial risk assessment that's needed beforehand. But there's quite a lot of inequality in that. So just in terms of some countries don't really have the infrastructure to be able to process the data, or they might not have the technical capacity or the people available to process that data as well. And I can sort of see that as the data becomes more and more complex and the satellite data becomes, it's much bigger data, it's much more regular, it's being updated on a much faster basis. As that is happening, we're actually getting larger inequalities in the access to data as well. So I think that is a bit of an issue that needs to be addressed. The other issues, I guess, are just the incompleteness of the data. We've got a lot of historical data that we can be using, but there's a lot of incompleteness in that data. Um, A lot of disaster databases 
can be focused more on large disasters with large populated areas, which obviously is a big, that's very important, but that means that maybe smaller disasters that happen on a more annual basis or maybe two or three times every two years rather than happening every 10 years, maybe that data isn't as available. And it might be the case that those smaller disasters might affect more people on an overall basis and those disasters that might be becoming more frequent as well. So having incompleteness in the amount of disaster data available, historically quite hard to match up what would happen historically with now because things are just recorded a lot more often now remote sensing, more people, things like that. So in order to integrate past, because the historical, especially when you have disasters that might only happen once every 50 years, we need to be able to, all of that historical data is really necessary as well, but it's not as rich as the data we have now. So I know there's a lot of work going on in how, how to integrate that and how to enhance that data or make it sort of more easily integrated into the more modern databases. That's it. And I mean, like some of the best disaster data we have is based on insurance claims, but obviously that's only people who are insured or companies that have that data. So again, how do we make sure that the other data sets are also included? Yeah, I think that's probably you know, things in terms of that, some of the issues I have. And the disaggregation of data as well. Do we know how da- disasters are affecting genders in a different way? There's a lot of evidence now that that is the case. And if we don't have that data, we don't, we can't really make decisions and and best help with the early warning systems. We need to know about things like disabilities, age, gender, things like that, in order to make our early warning systems accessible to everybody. And historically, we haven't had that data. We're starting to get it now. But again, how do we sort of bridge that gap between the the richness of the data and um, how can we enhance that? You touch upon actually some of the critical areas, Jill. I mean, one is how important the data on the historical data so they can actually understand that from the past to the present and they can go forward to the future. You also touch upon the data accessibility, data interoperability, as well as data unavailability or un- underutilization. That's quite also an important area. I mean, that's maybe the, one of the reasons that we see out of the global data set, actually, you're only able to utilize 12% of it. So why I can use the 70, you know, 8% of the data that are available. So what are hindrance there? And I think in this regards, uh, one of the critical aspects, actually, whenever we talk about the countries or industry or even an organization, we try to talk about, okay, how we can have a centralized database. But I think we need to go one step back. I mean, before putting all the data into one place, it doesn't ensure that data would be accessible, data would be interoperable, unless there is a cross-domain interoperability framework. So data need to have a standard metadata, data need to have a standard schema so that one can read each other. So which is actually quite important. And I think uh, the organization need to understand those kind of cross-domain interoperability side of it. But also recently you worked on the Sendai monitoring data set. You also looked at some of the SDG data set. How you see actually those are the data has a richness to contribute to the country to better understand their risk. And how do you think some of those data set could help them predicting the future uh, risk and that could integrate into a an action plan or understanding the anticipatory action for them. Yeah, I agree with you, Bafon, about that. And I think it sort of needs to be done on a global basis as well, that interoperability. I think, you know, there's 
everybody has, there's lots of standards, but there's no point if everyone has their own standards. So integrating that data in a more global way, I think is a really good thing. And I think that's what the Sendai framework is sort of set up to do. There is just one framework and one sort of set of indicators and everyone around the world are all sort of focusing on those particular indicators. So you know, I think that's a really good step to start with. But given that, there's still a lot of gaps in that data. I think um, there is starting to be some information about costs of disasters and how we can start looking at how we can use that data to predict overall costs of what disasters might be. And that way we can maybe start thinking about what aid is needed when a disaster happens and stuff like that. We might already have an idea of the amount of money that's available. There's some really interesting work going on in terms of triggering the aid before at the same time as triggering the warning. And if we have information about what that aid is needed and how much damage is expected and stuff like that, then they can be much more closely, get a much better match between what damage we think is going to occur and how much aid will be needed. I do think that Sendai data has a lot of gaps, and but... Even by asking people the idea about disaggregated data or asking people to report on gender or disability, that's even though a lot of countries aren't necessarily doing that in a systematic way yet, it has made a lot of countries even think about it for their own disaster management purposes. And actually, it's starting to just make people realise how important that data is and why they should have been collecting it in the first place. I think that's a good point you mentioned. And I think I would also like to emphasize on the applying the fair principles here, it's like which is like the international science community or CODAT actually introduced like the data findable, data accessible, data interoperable, and data reusable. And it, one of the biggest achievements through the satellite data set application because those data is fair. So you can easily customize those things. Even if you go to the ocean observation systems or hydrometeorological observation systems, those are fair because it has a standardization. And that's why you can see actually a lot of initiatives going on through like global basis of observation network, like GBON or like global ocean observation network. So every country able to share their data set in a common platform and utilize their enhancing their forecasting capacity capability or observation capability globally, because weather is not one country, it's actually more on global aspect to understand. And I think that's one of the things could be learned to the DRR or climate community moving forward that how some of those standardization or some of those processes that actually has been applied for ocean observation data set or weather observation data set or satellite based data set, how that could be applied. But maybe I have a one more question to you because you work in the private sector and you know often several data sets take by the private industry like you know insurance company because they always need to be make sure their risk assessment is right before they put some premium or insurance and and uh, but the only challenge is those data is not actually accessible by the public those data is also has a confidentiality so what kind of process do you think public and private could have brought together to sharing those kind of data set to enhance our risk assessment, especially to saving people's lives? Because at the end of the day, we are not talking about business. We are talking about people's lives, people's livelihood. Yeah, it's a very good point. Like the point is to save people's lives rather than just rating the insurance premiums. But the insurance industry is sort of at that pointy edge of disasters and they are paying a lot of the claims. It's quite interesting to see that some of the bigger insurance companies or reinsurance companies like Swiss Re and Munich Re, they're sort of some of the best research we've got into sort of climate change 
and its impact on disasters as well, because in some ways they're already paying the claims for that and they're, they're starting to notice it quicker than we might even notice it. I think the, uh, there's been quite a bit of increase in data sharing of that. We've got our own in New Zealand. We've got the example of the Earthquake Commission. And I know that they're going to just working towards putting a whole database towards all the claims data that was available during the Christchurch earthquake in 2011. And I mean, that that earthquake is actually, because it was such a recent earthquake and New Zealand has a very comprehensive insurance system and that pretty much everybody is insured, everybody's land and house is automatically insured under the earthquake commission. We have excellent claims data for that event. It's probably some of the best data there is in the world. And so now the insurance, the EQC is going to be putting together a database and releasing all of that claims data. Obviously, they have to do it in a way that can be anonymous, but that is going to be, I think that will make a big difference in terms of earthquake modelling and risk assessment based on the earthquake, because we have got the really good data for the actual, the quake and the actual hazard, but now we've got really good data that's based on the insurance claims as well. And as I said, everybody who had a house in Christchurch was damaged, basically had a claim. So it's very rich data. I think the Australia New South Wales is doing similar things with their flooding data as well. Both New Zealand and Australia have insurance councils and they produce quite aggregated data, sort of annual average losses and things like that. But they're starting to produce a lot more granular data as well. So I think that's going to help a lot. And basically, uh, the idea with the open data, I think if you if you don't share your data, then no one's going to share with you either. So if we can get more of this open sharing and make people realize that actually sharing your data means you get as many, as much data back, if not multitudes of more data back by becoming part of that sharing process, then I think that's really going to help. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, Jill. I think that's quite important, you know, some of the example you shared with us. And I think that's probably the global community could also learn from some of the experience that New Zealand face and then the Australia is a case and then the now how they're moving for their open data policy, open data platform, because those are quite important for a national policy guided by those data platform. And finally, yeah. I just like to say our technology is improving quite rapidly. And if we cannot have our data standardization or metadata schema ready for those things, it would be very hard to make sure that actually our technology produces the right information product. And then that's why it's actually to be go hand in hand with the same fast track, the way the technology moving 5.0, 6.0, 7.0, our data also need to be go to the same track. We thank you so much, Jill, for joining with us today. And thanks for Shelley to organizing this uh, interesting uh, talk. Uh, I'd like to hand it over to Shelley uh, for her final remark. Thank you, Bapon, and thank you, Jill, for sharing your experiences. I would just add on to this and summarize the episode by saying that, of course, nowadays, everyone is collecting data and data is being collected in terabytes. Every second we are generating, like, huge amount of data. But the trouble now is that how do we use this data? As we all know that with climate change and the requirement of early warning, what has actually made the situation so alarming in almost every country that we need to put our foot down and start thinking about how do we use our data and how do we channelize the massive information which is being collected every second 
via mobile devices, via internet. So this is a very interesting talk where you've spoken and rightly commented on incomplete data sets, missing data standards, and unavailability of data. There's a lot of inequality when it comes to data access, which needs to be somewhere channelized, somewhere regularized, so that everyone has the right and access to the data sets. If we do not start talking about or working in interdisciplinary domains, probably it's just going to be too late till the time we realize the importance of it. So I would say now is the time that most of the organizations and the countries should put their hands together, utilize the data in the best of its way to take things forward and make more resilient actions, be more prepared for the futuristic disasters which are going to be there. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and examples from various countries. Thank you. Thank you, Shani. Thanks very much for having me on. That was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode from the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. If you like our podcast and want to know more about the series, check out our website www.crgf.org and follow us on social media. Please leave a review and like and share wherever you listen to the podcast.